Welcome back to Contractor Evolution. I'm joined by Benji here at our studio. Our guest on the show today is Pierre Claroux. He is the chief economist of the BDC, Canada's Entrepreneurial Bank. For our American listeners, just by the way, stay tuned. This conversation 1000% applies to you too. He has been an economist for 30 years and leading the research team at the BDC for the last 12. On top of lending to entrepreneurs for their various business needs, the BDC also conducts and publishes a huge volume of research and literature on the ever-changing landscape of small to medium-sized businesses, both in Canada and in the US. And today's conversation is hyper-focused on three macro trends that absolutely impact your business and where they are headed. We get into a whole bunch of interesting stuff with Pierre, including where inflation is currently at, where it's headed, and how you, the business owner, can thrive in spite of it. We get into how climbing interest rates are affecting monthly cash flows of both homeowners and entrepreneurs, and whether or not your contracting business is headed for a bit of a slowdown. And lastly, he also shares with us this research that his team has done on the current labor shortage, which we're all very aware of. We get into how we got here and whether or not it's going to get better, and I'll give you a hint, it's not looking great over the next five to 10 years. Pierre was a great guest on the show and gave us an extremely insightful economic overview of the year that was 2023 and what's in store for you in 2024. So let's dive in with Pierre. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Pierre, welcome to Contractor Evolution. It's great to have you. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Pierre, I'm going to start with a really easy one, okay? What is the BDC? What's its mandate? What's your role there? Well, the BDC is a bank. We lend to business only and especially to small and mid-sized business across the country. So we have about 120 different branches across the country in every part of the country. And we serve a small, mid-sized, large company. We provide financing in many ways, and we also provide advisory services. Mm, very cool. So th this is a this is a small business entrepreneur, uh, like lender, a, a business-focused lender here in Canada. Is there an American equivalent? Is is there is there sort of a, a similar a similar bank like that in the states that our American listeners might recognize? A small business administration. It's not a bank. It's a program from the, from the federal government. It's a bit different because the banking system is quite different. In mm -hmm. Canada, we have uh, seven eight banks. In the U.S., they have twelve thousand. So it's a bit uh, different uh, business environment. But the equivalent would be small business administration. And tell us a bit about your role there. What, what do you do at the BDC? I'm the uh, vice, vice president of research and chief economist. So I'm in charge of three different teams doing research, trying to understand what uh, are, how the economy is performing. So that's basically the main focus, helping our clients, businesses in general, uh, our board at BDC, our senior management to better understand where the economy is going. We also look at um, financing needs. So we look at what business uh, are looking for because this is changing over time. So that's basically the research we're doing. Yeah, very cool. We're going to have a really interesting conversation about, about how the market is doing, about how the economy is changing and exactly how that is going to affect uh, you, the listener, you, the entrepreneur running your business, uh, wherever that may be. Um, Obviously, Pierre comes at this from the Canadian angle, but we've we've kind of discussed about about speaking to some of these trends uh, in Canada as well as the U.S. So we're going to get into some inflation stuff. We're going to get into interest rates, talk about the changing labor pool right now. I wanted to write at the beginning here, though, actually just ask you about a piece of literature that I read from you, your name on it. Um, and I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but what it was discussing it was a report about the declining rate of entrepreneurship in Canada. This this stat really jumped out at me, Pierre. There are nearly 100,000 fewer entrepreneurs in Canada today than there was in the year 2000. That's crazy. Why? Well, uh, there's a number of reasons. Uh, less and less Canadians decide to start a business. 
So 20 years ago, three um, out of a thousand Canadians were starting a business every year. Now we're down to one on every thousand Canadians. So and um, there's a few reasons for that. First, our population is aging, and typically people start a business when they are between 25 and 45 years old. And now our, as our population is aging, we don't have as many people in that cohort. Uh, second, the job market has been really good. The unemployment rate is very low. In Canada, it's 5.5. Uh, in the U.S., it's 3.8%. So people have different choices. You know, to start a business, there's a lot of risk involved. So when you get a good offer uh, with a good salary, well, you might uh, make the choice to to become an employee. And uh, finally, what uh, our research is showing is uh, it's more and more complex to manage a business, to have a business. So that's the re- the third reason why we don't see as many as many people to start a business. So going back to the job market thing, you're you're basically saying the the job market is so strong that it's 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 difficult for people to rationalize in their own mind. Why would I start a company? I can get paid hundred thousand dollars a year, or two hundred thousand dollars a year, whatever it is in their market. They can make a good wage. In some cases, they can work from home. It can be flexible, but it's it's fairly low risk because they're not taking the entrepreneurial plunge. And in a sense, the job offers available in Canada today are out competing the entrepreneurial route. Exactly. So this is a uh, recent, I would say. You know, uh, the job market uh, has been really good over the last few years. One of the reasons is because people are getting older. A lot of people are retiring to, and they leave the job market. So as a result, uh, for younger uh, people, the job market is really good. Not only it's uh, you know relatively easy to find a job, but salaries has been increasing. Right. So uh, so this is uh, you know a good if you graduate from uh, from school, the job market is much easier today than it used to be. So that's uh, uh, easier to make a choice. And is this a phenomenon that's happening just in Canada, or are we seeing the same thing in the United States and other developed nations? Well, uh, I wouldn't say it's everywhere, but in the U.S., definitely. The unemployment rate in the U.S. is even lower at 3.8%. You know, this is the lowest unemployment rate in the last 50 years in the U.S. So the same, uh, the job market is very tight. People have very different options. And we see the the same phenomenon. There's not as many people in the U.S. starting a business as well. So this is a concern in both on both sides of the border, because uh, startups are important in an economy. You know, they are they bring new products on the market, they new, bring new services, they new ways of doing things, and they also push mature business to be more competitive. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're concerned about that, because uh, in any economy, it's important to have a good amount of startups business because they are responsible for most innovation. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we've talked about like the riskiness of startup entrepreneurship. We've talked about uh, the fact that salaries are rising in employee jobs. Is this a phenomenon that is heavily stemming from the volume of, of money that's been injected into the economy over the last 10 to 15 years and the historically low interest rates? And, and of course, that whole world is now being shifted. It, is, is that been a core driver of this phenomenon, meaning likely we could expect that to change? Or do you think that there's many other factors in addition to that monetary policy? Well, that's one of the factors, definitely, that there's a lot of money in the economy and uh, the economy is growing on both sides of the border, both in Canada and the U.S. But there's another phenomenon that is quite new, is the fact that we have an aging population. So, for yeah. example, 20% of Canadians are over 65. Wow. That was only 13% 20 years ago. So the boomers, the baby boomers we've been talking about for so many years, they are close to retirement and they're leaving the job market. For example, this year in Canada, 350,000 people will leave to retire. Wow. That was, this is three times what we used to see in the economy. But, but are we so, not seeing as many young ones coming up on the other end? No, no, because the, our birth rate is much lower than it used to be. Yeah. So actually, uh, most of the growth is coming from immigration. Yeah. And that's not enough to compensate for this uh, new phenomenon. You know, there was always people retiring. It's not a new phenomenon. 
What is new is the amount of people retiring because the cohort of the baby boomers, there was a lot of them. So when they entered the job market 30 years ago, well, this was, there was a lot of them to work. So the job market was really good. But now as they leave, this is really creating a gap. And this is the reason why we have this low unemployment rate, shortage of labor, pressure on salary. That's basically the reason why we have that. So interesting. I mean, this this thing stems back, if you want to really go global on the perspective here, if those people hadn't come back from World War II and had so many goddamn kids, we wouldn't have this problem. It just kind of goes to show you how big and long these trends are, hey, Pierre. Definitely. And actually, you know, uh, the good thing is what, like, you're right. When the you know, we had this baby boom, this baby boom, like thirty or thirty-five years ago. Well, that we, the economy, really benefited from that, yeah. Because it was a lot of people, and there was a, an abundant, you know, number of employees, and the economy grew uh, in good reason because of that. So now we're kind of paying for the opposite. Yeah, it's a very simplistic view. It's like more people, more stuff getting done. Yeah, <laughs> it's, um, I will say this though. Um, a phenomenon that uh, that I just keep coming back to, this is so simple. I read a book the other month, uh, Sam Zell. He's like in the top wealthiest people in America alive right now. And, and he wrote this this really amazing book just on his like life and, and investment principles and philosophies. And, and in the book, he's kind of like, I'm not super well educated. I know one thing really well, which is supply and demand. Yeah. And he's like, this is the thing that governs like every aspect of every element within the economy and within finance and investments. And really, the labor market is completely no different. It is a game of supply and demand. Um, and if we, you know, we can have many other economic headwinds, but if there are more employees needed than there are available, yeah. we are going to be living in a, in a in an environment of difficult recruitment and hiring. Yeah. What I'm I'm curious, Pierre. Uh, we'll dive into the labor pool stuff a little bit more later. Does policy play a role in any of this? I'm wondering if you can compare and contrast the what I would describe as like the business friendliness in terms of policy between Canada and the U.S. And does that does that play a role in what you guys are seeing and reading and, and talking about? Well, what we're seeing, it's uh, more and more difficult to do business. Um, you know, high inflation, high interest rate. Uh, there's a lot of regulations. Um, you know, it's, uh, I would say what, what we hear from our clients is a bit easier in the U S because the level of regulation might be a bit lower, but it's in both cases, but you know, we're both developed economies. So there's a lot of, uh, uh, things to take, to take care when you, you manage a business. So it's a bit more difficult to manage a business now. And that's, uh, also one of the reasons why we don't see as many entrepreneurs. Yeah. Now, what does this mean for the people already running their business? Because you right now are talking to literally thousands, not live. I mean, we're going to record this and post it later. But, the, you know, over the course of its release, this episode will be listened to by thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs who already run a business, right? They are in their city or they're in a few cities. Uh, they're building teams, they're implementing systems, they're growing, they're very entrepreneurial. I mean, these are like these are like your middle of the target kinds of clients. When you're talking about this trend, a hundred thousand fewer th uh, entrepreneurs than than in the year two thousand. What does that mean for them? Is that does that scream opportunity? Is there some risk? How should they think about these these data points you're sharing? Well, actually, it's an opportunity for uh, for entrepreneurs who are, you know, dynamic because uh, um, there's two things. First, there's not as many startups, so there's not as many competition. Also, these uh, entrepreneurs are getting older, so there's a lot of opportunity to buy businesses that entrepreneurs are, you know, they're ready to, to make a transition. And we see that more and more entrepreneurs, they own more than one business. Uh, Give you an example, a client I, I just met, he had eight different car dealerships. So maybe in the past, you would have eight different entrepreneurs owning one dealership. Now this this person owns eight different of them and this uh, economy of scales of doing that. You know, you can uh, you, you can put together all the management, the uh, HR functions. So there's, there's benefits of getting a little bit bigger. And we see that, for example, in the U.S., Businesses are typically bigger because it's a much bigger market. 
And there's a lot of benefits to that. So this is actually for the existing entrepreneurs. This is an opportunity. There's not as many entrepreneurs around. So if you are, if you want to grow your business, well, there's a lot of opportunities in the next decade. Yeah, very cool. Um, I want to move on to sort of this changing landscape that a lot of our listeners feel like they're in. We're going to hit kind of three core themes here. I want to talk about inflation. I want to talk about interest rates. I want to talk about the labor pool. And I'd love to, as much as possible, speak about this in the Canadian realm and in the and in the American realm. Let's start with inflation here. Like, where are we at presently in both Canada and the U.S.? And what do you anticipate moving into next year? Well, we are, um, you know, inflation went very high in 2022, 8% in Canada, 9% in the U.S. Both countries have increased interest rate to reduce inflation, and it's working. In Canada, inflation now is 3.8%. In the U.S., is 3.7%. So we are basically uh, very similar. And actually, interest rate has increased in a very similar way. So the strategy of central banks on both sides of the border have been working. They have increased interest rate to bring down inflation. Their target is 2%, with a bracket uh, between 1% and 3%. So at 3.7 in the U.S., 3.8 in Canada, we're very close to the target. We're not done yet, and the bank, uh, the central banks are going to continue to keep interest rate elevated. But the good news is inflation has been going down for sure. And also the pressure on price is much less today. Like supply chain disruptions are gone. Uh, governments have invested a lot of money during the pandemic. All this is gone as well. So it's a bit easier to bring back inflation to the target zone. Uh, Pierre, let me ask you this. There is quite a lag with the effects of rising interest rates. And of course, it's it's really not a black and white science. There's a lot of ambiguity in terms of, of trying to definitively understand how the effects of like constraining capital, um, how that manifests itself to different areas of the economy. Um, in your opinion, like, is there a chance that we have that that the central banks have clamped it too hard for too long already? Do you feel that we still have you know, and you can speak to both countries, but do you, do, you, do you feel that we still have a pretty good shot at kind of balancing this, uh, bringing down interest rates effectively, or are we at risk that, uh, that, that too much has been clamped down where we're about to feel those lags? I'm not sure. Um, in Canada, the economy really slowed down, and um, the Bank of Canada this week decided not to increase interest rates, so they kept the prime rate at 5%. Um, and the reason, there's two reasons basically, like I said, inflation is going slowly going back to the, the target zone and the economy has been really slowing down. In the U.S., the situation is a bit different. The uh, U.S. economy is still performing very well. Growth is still very, very strong. So I think we will see probably another increase of interest rates in November when the Fed make uh, its announcement because um, the economy is still growing at 2%. We we're starting to see signs that the U.S. economy will finally uh, decline, but it's not there yet. So we're going to see a bit more interest rate increase in the U.S. But in Canada, I think we're done. I don't think the uh. I don't think there's any need to increase interest rate again. Um, one of the things that people have talked about in Canada and the U.S., but I think the U.S. especially, and I'd love for you to comment on this. Is, is how stubborn the job market and the growth has been in despite of these rates. I think, and, and this is to your comment, it's not an exact science. I mean, even central bankers are going, let's try this much. Okay, it's not slowing down. Let's try this much. Okay, it's yeah. not slowing down. And I think a, lo a, lot of the, a lot of what I read was, you know, economists, bankers, et cetera, are kind of stunned at how stubborn the job, the unemployment rate is staying unbelievably low. Jobs are still expanding. Things are still growing. And uh, overly simplistic to say this, but it's like it, it wasn't working. It was a pretty blunt tool and it didn't seem to be getting the job done. Why, do you have a take as to why some of those demand forces were so strong down there? This, I think there's two reasons. Uh, you know, during the pandemic in 2020, 2021, uh, governments spent a lot of money. Yeah. So they spent a lot of money to help Canadians and also help businesses. In the U.S., they did the same. So there was a lot of money inside. Uh, there was like savings 
uh, were very high on both sides of the border. So when you increase interest rates, first of all, you don't have a, an impact right away. There's about a third of people who have a mortgage, they have a variable rate. So they feel the, the increase right away, but two-thirds have a fixed rate. So they don't see the impact until they renew their mortgage. So that's the reason why there's a delay. You know, there's a lag. But now, after 18 months of increasing interest rates, we really see that people are paying more for their mortgages, they're paying more for their car loans. So as a result, consumption is really slowing down. Yeah. So that's uh, the, the reason why the job market was resilient at the beginning. And also, there was a lot of vacant job when we started. The amount of vacant job really dropped. So now the next step will be an increase in interest rate. Yeah. So in uh, in unemployment rate, we uh, the unemployment rate is still quite low. But you know, uh, as the economy continues to slow down, we should expect that we're going to see more unemployed people. Which, in a way, is what they're going for. It's sort of this bizarre. 100%. It's this bizarre situation that leaders or policymakers are put in, where they're like, "Hey, I hope more people are jobless because mm-hmm. that's the metric we track to show whether it's slowing down or not." Which is the job they have to tackle in bringing inflation yeah. down. It's just an interesting place to be in. And just to clarify one really important point, like when when we're talking about um, aggregate inflation. Um, unemployment rate and wages are one of the biggest input factors there because that is the root of all spending, right? So if we as an employer gave $10,000 raises, $20,000 raises to everyone across the board, what does that staff member go do with that? They go buy more goods and services. And then so they might go and buy a car or a couch. And then that salesperson at that dealership or furniture store or whatever, then has more money in their pocket and then they go and spend it. And it revolves, it's a multiplying factor. Um, and and that that's why um, rising that, that whole supply demand of labor where employees demand higher wages is an exceptionally inflationary element. And I think that's why central banks are so focused on this, on this labor market. You're right. Uh, and also what we are sa- starting to see now is salary are not increasing at the same pace as the economy is slowing down. That's probably a, probably a good thing in a weird way. Um, yeah. It's a good thing because it puts less pressure on inflation. Yeah. You had mentioned supply chains a second ago, and I want to back up to it because one of the things through COVID and even the year or two after that a lot of our listeners were really feeling were... I can't get the materials I need to build the homes I build or to uh, complete the services that I sell. And even when I can, they're late and they're like double what they cost before. And the reason we were all told was just like, well, supply chains are screwed up. And I'm like, first of all, what does that mean? Second of all, what the hell happened? I know we're feeling a little bit like we're out of it. Things have improved a bit, but what was going on there that really choked out that uh, choked out these supply chains and, and and put our listeners in that situation that they were in? Yeah, well, very good question. Um, basically, two two phenomena. Um, you know, during the pandemic, there was a lot of restriction. People couldn't travel, uh, so the people decided to renovate their house. And people built a new deck, and everybody tried to do the same thing at the same time. So the demand for lumber exploded. The, the supply couldn't follow, so the price of lumber tripled. So that's, that's what happened, is when you have everybody is trying to do the same thing at the same time, you have a strong demand for a product. And when you have a strong demand and you know higher than the supply, well, the price is just going up. And for a while, because of government, you know, program, people were able to do that. So the deck would cost me twice as much to build. Well, I don't care because I won't travel this year anyway. So so that, that's what happened in 2020, 2021. And as the economy came back, you know, uh, it, I would say to normal, people could travel, uh, government uh, program were ended. Well, the situation slowly is going back to normal. But it took a long time before we were able to go back to normal. So this was less so of like a, a supply chain constriction as it was a demand driving for like a demand driver force. It was on both sides because, you know, um, you know, in manufacturing, for example, a lot of people uh, were sick because of the pandemic. 
So the production was not the same. So yeah, there was yeah. a strong demand that created uh, a problem, but also in some industry, and it's not the same everywhere, uh, but in, in the automotive industry, for example, there was also a supply problem because uh, you know uh, some plant was shut down. Well, some plant was shut down in, in China, for example, where we buy some of uh, our parts for our, uh, our cars. Yeah. So th that was a mix of both sides. And what surprise us as economists as the the disturbance we didn't think the disturbance would last so for so long we mm, thought it was a question totally. of few months but actually it took two years before we went back to the balance uh of, of different sectors yeah it's really amazing how long and like almost semi-permanent these factors are i remember earlier this year going into the bike shop i, I kind of destroyed my uh like on a mountain bike run like the the brake caliper on the front and then go get a new one and the guy's like oh is there not in stock from shimano there'd be maybe like eight months i'm like for a brake caliper what is, what is that he's like well you know covid i'm like what does the coronavirus have to do with my brake caliper in 2023? But right. it's 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 really unbelievable how like big these forces are on a, on a macro world level. Yeah, it, it really is. To to drill this down to uh, kind of a micro level, and if we were to look at at the the business owner uh, who owns a a a blue collar business and. What is your advice to them around how they operate their business, how they make decisions, how they buy things, how they sell things, how they market their company? Is there any practical advice that you have for them in an inflationary environment? How do they survive a situation like this or even thrive in a situation like this? Well, the most important part is to control your costs. Um, you know, after the pandemic, there was a strong recovery, so the demand for most products and services just exploded. So many businesses were facing a strong demand. It was not easy to manage because it was uh, supply chain disruptions, shortage of labor, higher costs. So, but the new good news was the demand for their products was strong. So when you're, you know, you you uh, you focus on providing. The, uh, to your clients what they are asking for, you don't focus on cost. Usually when the economy is performing very well, the, you know, your revenue is growing, you're focusing more on the demand than on the cost side. So now as the economy is slowing down, first thing is people should focus on managing their costs, reducing their costs, uh, make sure that they, whatever they produce, they do it the most efficient way as possible. And this is more important when the economy is slowing down, when your revenue are not increasing as much, or in some cases, they are declining. So that's the first uh, priority right now. Very interesting. I want to talk about just on the on 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 Pierre's comment here, like there is a really important fundamental point here uh, that I think entrepreneurs need to understand, like in the macro sense of their career. Great operators aren't born in a fat and happy time in the right. economy when money is cheap and flying coming out of the sky uh the homeowners are flush with money. Everyone looks good, right? There's that quote by, by Warren Buffett. It's really, well, it's only when the tide goes out that you see who's been swimming naked. So and man, if you want to, everyone looks good when they put their video game settings on novice, right? It's yeah. the same thing. Like you're going to destroy the level. You yeah. look like a pro, but this is, this, this is not that anymore. This is the time when great operators are born. And when you become really, really good and when that next site, that next bull run cycle begins, which it inevitably will, because like it's always the same cycle if you map it out from like 1900. It's just like an endless groundhog day. It's the same thing happens every decade, basically. Um, you will be armed to be exceptionally well equipped to go into the next time. So I think that there's an inherent like negativity when people like use the words like the economy is slowing down, all this kind of stuff. Consumer spending is down, blah, blah, blah. But really like my view on that is like, like I'm pumped. This is the time when exceptional operators are going to shine. So well I would agree with that. And also, you know, the, um, the more experienced entrepreneur, they use the slowdown in the economy to make acquisition. So it's a good time to buy other businesses who are not doing so well, who didn't, you know, predict the slowdown. So the most experienced one, they wait for this time to make acquisition. Let's talk about the interest rates and where they're at and, and sort of this this next chapter of the conversation 
you mentioned this already, but I, I wonder if there's more to unpack here around like the effectiveness of the rates. Uh, is is it working? Is inflation cooling? Do we expect more of that? If so, why is it working? Maybe just let's start there. Well, it's it's working because um, you know inflation went down from eight to three point eight percent in Canada, so the strategy is working. However, uh, we're not back to uh, price stability or to the two percent inflation, so that's why interest rate will stay elevated for a while. We don't expect any more increase. But the prime rate at five percent is going to stay for you know it's going to stay high for a while. Some economists say the spring 2024, the Bank of Canada will be able to start uh, decreasing interest rate. We believe it's more the summer, but sometime in the middle of 2024, the Bank of Canada should be able to start reducing the rate, and that's important because this is going to stimulate the economy. So in the U.S. situation is similar. The prime rate is at 5.3. It's a bit higher. We believe it's going to to increase probably another shot in uh, November, but that would be it. And in the middle of 2024, they should be able as well to be able to reduce interest rate. So in the next two quarters, in the next six to eight months, the economy is going to be slow because interest rates are elevated. But the mid-2024, we will see more momentum in the economy as interest rates are starting to decline. How should business owners think about the CPI? One of the things that I learned two years ago, and I wish I'd known it sooner, but when we look at the bundle of goods that we use to sort of say it's at eight, it's at 3.7, it's going in the right direction. One of the things that's not included there is housing, which just seems like this massive elephant in the room where it's like, okay, cool, eggs and bread are cheaper, but the real estate here in Vancouver is still ridiculous. Same in Toronto, same in most places. How should how meaningful and how should business owners think about that 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 consumer price index and the bundle of goods therein? Well, um, you know, it depends where you are in a different part of the country. Inflation is a bit different. Um, like you said, in um, basically in British Columbia and in Ontario, that's where the price of housing is the most elevated. Uh, although the, since interest rate has been increasing, these prices has been slowing down. In the rest of the country, prices has been increasing, but not as much. So it's not as a big issue as in BC and in Ontario. Okay. Um, I got, I've got an important okay. question about the homeowner peer that I want to get your take on. Okay. So uh, two years ago, uh, when I sort of saw, and, and I did kind of see this coming just with the volume of money that's been printed, my take was that we are going to see some serious carnage all across North America, Canada, and the U.S. on the homeowner front. Like, keys back to the lender, here you go, I cannot afford this. Um, I personally am pretty shocked by the resilience of the homeowner. I don't, and I'm trying to understand even why it is, like, like I, and, and I get that two-thirds of mortgages are on fixed rates, so maybe they've not hit their turnover points yet. But, but still, like, like it has been quite some time of elevated interest rates. The effects to the homeowner are very real. Um, like, like I've always run variable rate mortgages and whatever, maybe I should have locked in it regardless. Like, you know, so I see it. And, um, and so I, I'm just curious, like, how is the real estate market across the board still as strong as it is? Do we expect to see as more of these fixed rate mortgages come up for renewal, like yeah. a lot more carnage? Is this, and, and what effects are driving this? Is this like the psychology of the North American homeowner that they will cut everything else and take on more debt elsewhere in order to hold on to the home that they love? So is this kind of like a like a, like a psychological thing? What What's happening here to keep the market as stable as it is? And do you forecast that to change or are we going to take a, a pretty negative turn here? Well, the main reason is because the job market has been really good, re very resilient. So as long as you have a job, you can pay your mortgage. And that's really a big help. Mm -hmm. This is a, a different situation than the normal recession. You know, a normal recession, let's say, let's take 2008, 2009. There was a financial crisis and uh, many people lost their job. And as a result, some people lost their house. Today, it is not, there was no recession. The Bank of Canada increased interest rate to slow down the economy, to bring down inflation. But that is, doesn't kill jobs necessarily. You know, in some sectors like uh, residential construction, retail, we have a little bit less 
number of jobs, but in general in Canada, people kept their job and they were able to absorb interest rate increase. There's a limit to that. And that's your sec- the second part of your question. I believe if interest rate uh, do not increase, I think we'll be safe because we are, you know, people are able to absorb this shock. If interest rate continue to increase, well, I think some people will have difficulties to adjust to that. But so far, the market has been very resilient. I think we will be resilient until interest rates start to decline in 2024. I don't think we will see, uh, you know, a lot of uh, default on mortgages. So far, the default rate is very low. People have been very resilient, which is a great news because you don't want people to lose their house. Yeah. yeah. And is, is it fair to say that governments and central banks do not want homeowners handing in their keys? Is that probably something that they are acutely watching? Oh, definitely. And, you know, um, at the Bank of Canada, there's an entire department on risk. And that's what they are watching, how consumers are able to afford interest rate that they, they increase. They have a job to do on inflation, but at the same time, they're watching everything. And the last thing they want is to create a recession or it would make people lose yeah. their house. So there's a fine balance between the two. It's not an easy job to do. But so far, uh, yeah, you know, you, we have to say that they have been doing uh, very well. Yeah, so it's bad, bad PR when uh, when people are handed in their keys. Um, so, okay, that, that was a great question and a great point you just made there, there Igor. Uh, could there be a knock-on effect? Because, you know, most of our listeners are, the contractors or their home service businesses that they are working on homes and properties. There'd be a large chunk of them that are working on doing commercial construction or working with more uh, in, industrial clients, but there'd be a large chunk of them who are working with homeowners. Okay. So it seems obvious to ask if people are really having to quote unquote absorb the cost of their higher mortgage and the cost of other things. Is it reasonable to assume that there's going to be less left over for spending on renovations, on additions, on landscaping, on whatever? For our specific listeners, could all this stuff we're talking about create in a downward pressure, uh, create a downward pressure on demand? Definitely. And we have been seeing that since the January 2022. So this is not a new phenomenon. In Canada, the slowdown in uh, residential construction uh, started in 2022. In the, on the commercial side, uh, we're just starting to see a slowdown. But on the residential side in Canada, we have seen a slowdown uh, in terms of the level of activity. So renovation, building a new addition, a new deck, or building a new house. So this sector has been slowing down. In the U.S., uh, you know, there was a lag. The, uh, the construction sector was... Uh, you know, more resilient than in Canada. But since the beginning of this year, we're starting to see a slowdown in the residential construction in the U.S. as well, for the same reason. As interest rate is increasing, people, you know, they pay more for their mortgage, so they have to cut somewhere. So if you wanted to redo your kitchen, well, you might wait until interest rates are lower. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the job market specifically. What we kind of have, what we call the the, the talent pool, the labor pool. Um, here's the question: How did we get into this situation in the first place? And are there any numbers and metrics, data that you could provide to really paint the picture for how serious uh, or perhaps overhyped this labor pool, this talent shortage? really is for this sector? Well, it's um, it's an important phenomenon because, like I said, a lot of people are retiring and there's not enough young people to replace them. So there's not a lot of options. One of option is immigration. And in Canada, the federal government has doubled the number of new immigrants. So we went from 250,000 to 500,000 this year. So that's one, that's part of the solution, having more people coming to Canada you will have more workers, uh, and you know we just look at the uh, at the numbers. Uh, actually, people who are coming to Canada, the percentage of them working is really high, so they are directly going to work in different sectors, and in, including uh, construction. Uh, the second part is to try to 
um, be uh, invest more in technology. Investing in technology will help uh, the builders to uh, reduce their need for workers. You know, we cannot replace technology that doesn't replace people, but it can replace some tasks. And I'll give you a very specific example of a client that I, I met in, the, in Victoria, actually, in BC. And they use technology, GPS technology, when they, when they dig a hole, they use now GPS technology, which is making, uh, you know, much easier to dig, but also you don't dig too much. So because the GPS is very specific, much more specific than, you know, any human eyes, for example. So you save time, you save money, uh, and since you uh, do their job in a shorter period of time, well, you don't need as many people. So it's a mix of immigration, a mix of technology, and that's what, you know, how we're going to, uh, I would say, go through this period of time where we don't have as many workers as we, we used to. I, and I just want to ask a uh, like a very direct question on this one, though, is like, are we past the point of being able to solve for this? Because the yes, you can oh, yeah. immigrate to a certain point, right? But you cannot make a worker. So if my Janine's going to get pregnant and it's going to take nine months to have a newborn baby, that baby cannot put on a roof, right? So right. we've got a multi-decade <laughs> long span to, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to create workers, essentially. Think about like the creation of workers is kind of the way that I look at this, right? So you cannot, like when we're seeing this right now in Japan and in China, like you've, you're, really, you're dealing with like a major, major economic problem because human beings are needed to drive productivity and you need like a multi-decade span to turn this around one way or the other. So are we kind of screwed for lack of a better term? Can we immigrate enough? Like what's the plan here? And 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 is that too much damage been done yet? Well, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. Uh, we like government are doing an effort. They are really increasing immigration. Immigration, like I said, is really increasing. A lot of businesses are actually going abroad to bring workers Correct. back. Uh, also, they are investing in technology, but we still have don't have any uh, enough workers in construction, and that's the reason, for example, that we have a short supply of housing in Canada. You know, the uh, uh, every in every part of the country, we don't have any, enough housing, and part of the reason is because of the shortage of labor. So, I agree with you that we are past the you know the point where we we really need to do something and. You know, as immigration is coming, we need more housing. Yeah. So uh, this is not an easy situation, but, you know, as immigration is increasing a bit more, the economy is slowing down. So the combination of everything, should we should be okay. But we need to build more houses and we need uh, more people. We need less regulation. Uh, we need also uh, less inflation because <laughs> when the cost of materials is increasing, it's hard. To, uh, to build new houses. Preach, preach, Pierre. <laughs> I agree with everything. Um, the the immigration one is super interesting. I, I've been I've been banging on about this for two years. A long time ago, we had Brooke Finley on, who uh, Whistler Immigration. She specializes. She's a consultant and specializes in foreign worker programs. Here is one of these interesting distinctions between Canada and the U.S. that I want to make. One of the things that I don't think. Um, Americans realize about Canadians or Canadians realize about Americans when it comes to the workforce and the labor pool is the U.S. has a Hispanic workforce. And they predominantly are come from Mexico, Central America, uh, Spanish speaking, incredibly industrious. Uh, you know, a huge chunk of them are there uh, legally. Some of them are there illegally. It's a massive political issue uh, down there. But if you profile the businesses that we work with, a lot of the labor is Hispanic down there. Now, we do not have that here in Canada at all. That's not a, and I would say it's like, it's a luxury that these, that American contractors kind of take for granted in a sense. Like imagine your roofing business without that, wouldn't work. And so we have a much, much higher, tougher battle to fight here when it comes to that. Brooke was saying when, when, um, so our the modeling right now is our birth rate is such that we will our growth will completely stall out by the year 2030 right now just with the rate at which we're having them and beyond that the only way we're going to grow is through immigration is this um and this is a, a question for our Canadian listeners but 
is this issue, Pierre, is this kind of like a a, a, bi, a, a bipartisan issue? Like, is this something that everyone agrees on, conservative, NDP, liberal? Like, th- this sounds like such a core issue that I'm assuming most of our uh, most of our political parties are kind of aligned on it. Is that the case? I would say so. I think everybody recognized the numbers you, you gave are the right numbers, you know. Uh, 96% now of population growth is coming from immigration. So I think everybody, everybody recognized that. And that's the reason why we are really increasing immigration. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we also should look at other options. Uh, for example, like I talk about technology. You know, also um, the talent pool that we look at, the unemployment rate in Canada is very low, 5.5%. But the unemployment rate for young people below 25 is still over 10%. So, of course, everybody wants to hire uh, somebody with 10 years of experience, but it's really difficult to do that right now. Hiring younger people, training them, supporting them, it's more costly, but for the future, it's a great strategy. Also, the uh, unemployment rate for immigrants is uh, 9%. So there's some group in our population have more difficulties to find a job. So as entrepreneurs, we should really be aware of that. We should look at expanding our talent pool. Yeah. Mm. I'll give you my view on this, Benji. For As a contractor entrepreneur, I would make a bet that for that, for our listeners, as a business owner, I, I would not bet on this issue becoming a lot easier Anytime over, soon. Or, yeah, over over the next five to 10 years. Because, Pierre, the issue with immigration is like, yes, you can, at a government office, sign off on, on immigration cards or whatever they work. You, you you could take out the stamp and stamp it and say you can go. But you cannot build the infrastructure and the facilities. Like, we cannot just bring in two million immigrants if we know that we need them. Like, we see it right here in Vancouver. Like, the streets are packed. There's not, like, literally transportation infrastructure. The ER rooms are packed. Like, I was just in there, like, with a cut a little while ago. It's like a seven-hour wait. You have classrooms that are overrun. Like, there's yeah. there's huge pieces of infrastructure that need to be created for you to, to be able to to facilitate this kind of thing. We had set you weren't you weren't here for this. We had Seth Madison on a couple of weeks ago and he he has a term for it. I don't know if he think he coined it, but I heard it from him for the first time. He calls it the forever labor shortage. Yeah. I mean that's pretty compelling. This is just how it's going to be. I don't know if it's literally forever, but for the foreseeable future, this is likely going to be your business's biggest problem that it has to solve, which is probably why it's like, you know, thir- 30% of the content on this very show is spent talking about recruitment, hiring, training, development, uh, yeah. you know, employer brand, all this stuff. Yeah. So, so that, 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 that's one part that is abundantly clear to me on the immigration front. Number two, like you, as I said before, you cannot make workers in nine months, right? It, this is like a, a multi-decade thing to, to grow the, the labor force internally. So coming back to Pierre's point, I very much agree with that is like, you have to be able to get good at training and developing people. And that's really a huge part of what we stand for at Breakthrough Academy and the that's why on the show, Contract Revolution, we, we put on a lot of that kind of stuff. Like you have to be able to hire relatively unskilled 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, and have amazing processes, playbooks, your whole standard operating procedures for everything, that w- the way that you do, the way that you systematically onboard people in an effective and standardized way, the way that you train your staff, develop them over time. It, it's going to, the contractor that's able to develop people the best is going it's to gonna win. It's going to win. Yeah. 1,000%. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, any other, uh, trying to think we've covered a lot of ground. Okay. Here's a good question to close on. We're moving, we're recording this at the end of October. This will probably release in the next couple months. We're moving into 2024, uh, pretty quick here as the chief economist of the BDC, give me two things that you're really excited about next year. Give me two things you're a little worried about. I think um, the first one uh, to be excited about, I think uh, inflation will be under control in 2024. And finally, interest rate will start to slow down and that would create uh, economic growth. So I think that's that's really what I'm excited about. Um, what I'm worried about is the political issue around the world. Um, it's, um, you know, in North America, we have been lucky. We haven't been too affected by the war in Ukraine or in Israel, but definitely I'm worried about this. You know, there's a lot of turbulence around the world, and that's something that um, I'm uh, I'm worried about. 
The other issue is a shock that I don't see right now. You know, this is, uh, uh, for example, in 2020, nobody could predict the pandemic. In 2022, nobody, nobody was able to predict the war in Ukraine. So that's what I'm worried about. This is the shock that I'm not seeing right now. Huh. Is, is that fair to say, Pierre, like you're a bit older and wiser and more experienced than, than we are? Like, is, is the world, in fact, more unstable than it has been over the last few decades? I think the, the, war, uh, the world is more complex than ever before. Is it more unstable? Because we tend to forget that in the past, you know, we had a Cold War between Russia and the U.S. in the past. We, we had a lot of uh, turbulence in the past. But what is different this time is the, the world is much more global. So when something happened in Ukraine, but well, it does have an impact around the world. For example, you know, because uh, everybody in Europe was buying energy from Russia, well, people were really disturbed by the, the war in Ukraine and, and Russia. So when something happened in China, for example, the pandemic, well, we have supply chain disruption, even in Canada, because the global we're so global now. So I think the world is much more connected, much more complex, and we can be af- affected by something happening on the other side of the war of the world, just because we're so global now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like this this comment here about like a shock that we can't see. It ties into this theme that we've, we've had all sorts of investment people in all week talking about this. They're just like, you have no no idea what you what is going to happen. If you think you do, you're kidding yourself. Just stay vigilant, stay humble, pay close attention, and be ready to move if you have to. And, and, and be conservative. And be conservative. And I think, yeah. uh, I think, I think Pierre is kind of echoing that comment as well. We're we're out of time here, Pierre. But this has been a really phenomenal conversation about some stuff that I think is on the minds of our listeners. Um, where can where can people find out more about about BDC? Where can they find out more about your work or maybe follow the publications and the writing that you do? Well, we have a great website at BDC. We focus on entrepreneurs. So there's a lot of information about how to manage a business, how to manage your human resources, for example. So it's a great source of information. On the economic side, uh, we have a section on research and economics. People can read our economic letter. We produce it. Every uh, every month, we have a section on Canada, a section on the U.S., and we have an article of the month. And every month, we uh, we talk about you know what is top of mind. So it's a great source of information for entrepreneurs. Like the BDC is serving only entrepreneurs. So all the information we produce is for entrepreneurs. This is great. Um, my biggest takeaway out of this conversation with Pierre is that uh, y'all should go and have some kids. We need, we need, so we, need we need more population in the coming decades. <laughs> Thank okay. you for your time today, Thanks, Pierre. Pierre. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Take care. Good to see you. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.